I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. When my Kickstarter board game funds for me. Crowdfunding. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your esteemed host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Iris Sean and Just Rick. But in addition to that, we are joined by two guests, Devin Metlin and Ben Levy. They serve as our moderator team, or some of our mods. The others would be the three, the people that I just mentioned before, and I'm stumbling over my words. So welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Thanks for having us on. It is a privilege, and I will send the invoice later. (laughs) I thought that it was a good idea to invite you guys on because we together kind of deal with the uh, moderation of the Facebook group. And... You guys are both involved in marketing, and Ben in particular with your Mantle of the Keeper product. It's something that you're bringing to Kickstarter. And then Devin seems like you have your hands in like all sorts of different pies all over the place. And so the purpose of this episode is really to feature our moderators and to kind of answer questions that they've always had. So hopefully it's going to be really interesting for everybody. But I'm kind of excited to dive in. You guys want to introduce yourselves to start? Uh, ben, you want to go first? Absolutely. Yeah. Like Devin said, thanks for having me. Um, this has been uh, a dream come true. I love listening to the podcast. You guys are a wealth of knowledge. Um, and just from the firsthand experiences, as well as um, your marketing experience with Kickstarter specific has been uh, super helpful for myself and my business partner as we're moving forward for our first project. So like Andrew said, my name is Ben Levy and I'm one of the co-founders of Strongbox Games. We're an indie developer and designer company uh, heading towards our first project that's going to be launching in Kickstarter. Uh, we're targeting uh, early spring, but yeah, that's, that's the gist. I also help out with moderation and crowdfunding nerds and, and heavily involved uh, in a lot of Facebook groups to soak up as much knowledge as I can. That's awesome. And uh, Devin, tell, tell us about yourself. Yes, my favorite thing. Just kidding. Um, my name is Devin Metlin. Um, I am a moderator here at the Crowdfunding Nerds, also a moderator for the Board Game Design Lab. Probably seen me in 50 different groups talking to you, chatting about random things, uh, asking questions. Basically, I'm kind of the guy that likes to just help everyone. You know, I'm like they said, I'm a little bit here and there, everywhere, just trying to help where I can. Um, and I also, you know, marketing is kind of my favorite thing, specifically on the organic side, uh, how to build an audience, connect with people through audience building and all that kind of stuff. So that's who I am. That's awesome. And I'm pretty sure you're either a future employee or a future competitor to next level web. So not sure if I should friend you or employee. (laughs) (laughs) It might have to kill you or, uh, befriend. I'm not sure. It depends on like your neutral faction right now. I'm not sure if you'll be hated or revered. Either way, it's okay with me. (laughs) One of the things Devin just said that uh, I'd like to bring up to our our group again is that uh, he's talking about building communities. We just received another email this morning from a a potential client who uh, said, oh, I I started my Kickstarter yesterday and now I need your help. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) 
Yeah. I, 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 those are your favorite How overfunded are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know how many times we have to say this on this podcast, but community, community, build the community. We are a pre-marketing group. We need to make sure you get stuff done before yeah. you start. Once you start, I mean, it's like the, it's like the point of return. I mean, you can cancel and we can start over and that's probably mm -hmm. what we will, we will recommend to this person. But uh, yes, it's all about community building on Kickstarter. Back in the days, you can just throw anything up, stick figures, you make a million dollars on Kickstarter, you're good. <laughs> and uh, today, no. Today, you literally have to be like, you have to have the finished product product practically ready for you when you Kickstart. Like, it's like, it's like mm -hmm. super polished Disney Plus ready to go. As obvious as that is to a lot of designers, especially experienced designers, it's, it's not as obvious to like people just jumping in, right? I, I was talking to Andrew a little while back about um, how we, we had joined this backer kit. Um, it, was, it was an expedition of different designers ex explaining their experience of how they got to where they are. And I remember taking pages full of notes and like the biggest note I took was you have to build a crowd and hype before you launch and like underlined it. And I was like, oh, this is mind blowing. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, you know, if, if people, I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned is seek wise counsel from, from those who have done this or people who know more than you do about the subject that you're looking into. And so, you know, like BGDL, crowdfunding nerds, the podcasts that are associated, Jamie Stegmeyer's blog, all those things are, are years of experiences and, and failures and successes that we took a step back. We're like, okay, this, this actually takes a lot more, you know, planning. Yeah. And it's funny how universal that principle is of, you know, you have to build your crowd before you, before you launch. I, I was actually talking to, so some of my deliverance insiders are really trying to get me to turn deliverance art into an NFT. Um, and for uh, those that might not understand, I don't understand either, but it's called a non-fungible token. And basically it's like, you can sell a picture, like your art for money and then anytime that person sells that asset from that point forward, you get like a royalty, like 10% royalty and other things like that. But they have, they only have the rights to the digital picture, which you also have the right to. And so I don't really understand, but they, they own some sort of property. Like we've seen chicken nuggets that look like among us characters sell for like a hundred thousand dollars. And that's the thing with that too, is it all goes back to community with those NFTs specifically is i mean i've looked into all that stuff and it's it's kind of crazy but again if you don't have that audience if you haven't brought an audience to see that nft it's not like it's going to sell overnight you know like you need to bring that product awareness to your nft which right. obviously with deliverance you've done and so people know about this they're more likely to engage in actually purchasing because they know the background and the history and they've seen this process from start to finish. And so it all goes back yeah. to community. So when you say it's a token, it means it's a, it's a means of exchange. It's just like a, it's a Bitcoin, but it's Michael, the archangel. Because the whole thing about <laughs> cryptocurrencies or any currencies, you want them to be fungible. So I don't understand the non-fungible part. You can't funge them. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Fungibility is when, for instance, like one coin equals one coin so that you don't have, for instance, $1 equals $1. It spends the same no matter where you are. It doesn't change its value. You don't go to a certain store and $1 is less than a dollar. I think I know why it's non-fungible then. So an art so an art piece, let's say like my cover art for deliverance or something. Let's say I sell that for $1,000 to somebody and they own the NFT. They can turn around, let's say if deliverance gets its own Netflix special and uh, everybody loves deliverance now, they can resell that for like 
a million dollars. So basically it's like stock. It's kind of like stock. Essentially. And video games have started getting into it as well. Um, there's a couple games out there that sell NFTs in the game. And then the more you work them in the game, the more money you get back, which that's yeah. even another mm. space out there I, I'm confused about. But I think NFTs right now are sort of at the point where Bitcoin was when it's first started. It's either going to like extremely blow up and become very popular or it's just going to burn and die and that's it. So if you have extra money you want to invest, I think this is a good time to uh, maybe try it. And if not, well, you know. <laughs> well, it yeah. sounded like Devin was going to be one of the Deliverance NFT first customers. So it was very interesting because I'm just kind of over here looking at shipping. I've been, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody that I charged $9 for an all-in pledge of Deliverance for <laughs> shipping. And I expected to put in about 15 bucks more. I think that's what I subsidize shipping, uh, you know, in various areas. It, it, it ranges depending on, you know, if you're buying it from New Zealand or Zimbabwe or, you know, the United States. But uh, in general, let's say it's like 15 to $20 of subsidy. And it was a $9 charge to the US. So now that freight has gone up twice that, I'm probably going to be spending anywhere from, 20 to $30 of a subsidy, depending on the various version that they purchased and whatnot. And I, I'm, you know, we're, we're able to do it thankfully because of the, um, the amount we raised and whatnot. And the fact that I didn't dump all of it into the home that I just purchased, uh, I didn't dump any of it there, but it was curious to, to me that NFTs are something that I can make money from, from the assets that I've already made. And it was like, well, you know, if I'm short on money or if I want to buffer a little bit more or invest, you know, just have more money to invest into future artwork for expansions or the games, that's a legitimate way that my my fans are asking for. Like they're asking to spend money on this. I kind of, I mean, it's part of me doesn't really understand, but then again, I don't think it, you know, if, if I were to wait till I understood everything about a subject before I jumped in, I would not have a podcast. I would not have a business. I would not have a board game. In fact, I would probably, I don't know, be living under a rock somewhere because I'd be afraid of everything or I'd be Elon Musk. (laughs) That's actually like, I mean, that's a great point about whenever I started the process of designing my own game, I absolutely didn't know the whole, even the marketing the process of rapid iteration, blind play testing, it was pretty much, we had an idea, how hard could it be? Kind of an attitude. We were actually, my, my co-designer and I were talking about this yesterday, how the freight did change your your strategy with the funds that you raised at Kickstarter. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is, is that money you earned didn't just go like, okay, here's the profit. It's, it's really, it, it has to be an attitude of this money is not mine. It doesn't exist in the sense of being mine until every single backer gets their pledge successfully. And so you, you've had to navigate freight as well as I'm sure material costs. And that, that money you raised on Kickstarter isn't going to change. Like you can, you can be selling shirts or other things, NFTs, if you will. That money is the responsibility to bring the product. And that's, that's something a lot of people I think are, are starting to realize, especially when freight changes and it's their first time they're, they're seeing these lessons firsthand. And this user kicks out of profits to start a Ponzi scheme on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, I'm looking at probably about a hundred thousand dollars in just uh, material cost for the the games that i'm printing and then in addition to that about uh, at the moment it's 
roughly, you know, just under $15,000 for a container and then all the little miscellaneous costs. I mean, I'm sending containers to six regions or at least I'm sending product to six regions. Who knows if it's going to be containers or if I'm just going to airlift New Zealand and count it a, a loss or, or what. People keep buying from New Zealand, by the way. I think I've hit every single New Zealand gamer. I, I must have like 100 <laughs> sales to New Zealand and okay. I have no idea how. It's weird for deliverance. I want it to go as as far as it can. Even if it loses a little bit of money to get there, I would rather have it there. Because you're thinking of expansions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every Kiwi that buys now. I think our podcast is now. on the uh, Apple Top 150 over there as well. It was one of those areas. Ooh. Okay. That's pretty cool. <laughs> He's always thinking about how to bring his project to the next level. Yes. So I, I just, I don't know. It's just an interesting observation that I've made. But we make a lot of sales. You know, we, we were talking about uh, in our, we have a Facebook messenger thread that we just talk about moderation stuff and whatnot. And I asked you guys, what sorts of topics would you guys want to cover? And you had some pretty great questions and other areas that I thought were pretty useful that we hadn't really covered a lot. And let's talk about that. Ben or Devin, would you like to go first? Go ahead, Ben. You had a lot of good stuff up there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the first things that came to mind was actually sparked from the previous episode. Um, we had your sister on talking about her engagement on Instagram and the audience and the way she built up raving fans through through that platform. And you guys also talked about TikTok in a sense and Snapchat and her views of that were basically, you know, it wasn't as direct to her audience as, as she wanted. And I think that's that's the key that I've taken away is where is the audience? And I mean, you guys run Facebook ads because that's where a lot of gamers are. That's where they see those ads and they'll convert to be backers. But one thing that sparked my interest was I'm also a gamer and I'm a consumer of Kickstarter. And the way I've heard about some games that I've converted to being a backer is, okay, maybe it's a, a YouTube review. Maybe it is a Facebook ad. And sometimes it's even a content creator on Instagram and it could be a couple pictures and things like that. And I know you guys have, have done studies as to what converts the best. And so that's why you guys are pretty much focused on, on Facebook and some Instagram ads. But um, what, what that got me thinking of is kind of that, I think it's the seven touch rule, Rick, that you talked about of being able to communicate to customers seven times before they convert or something similar to that. And so my mind was going of how, how can you do some sort of multi-platform approach to that while not, you know, weakening your budget where it can go? How can you make the most bang for your buck while reaching the most people? The uh, the first thing about the seven touch rule is uh, that, that a lot of people will maybe uh, misunderstand is that it's not a one touch from seven different platforms necessarily. It could be seven emails for, you know, as an example, I wouldn't necessarily recommend sending one email a day. I'm sure you'd Stop get somebody to unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the seven touch rule is just kind of a general rule that would say you need to, to communicate with people about seven times before they make a buying decision on your product. And if they absorb enough information, that really this is kind of the, the base concept to even why we do our landing pages the way we do, why we do our marketing funnel the way we do. It's because the more information people absorb about a thing, the more they're going to want the thing. You know, I, I kind of funny enough, don't really have a desire to scuba dive. And then all of a sudden, real estate agent that sold me my house was talking about, oh, yeah, I scuba dive and this and that. It's so cool and peaceful and blah, blah. 
And I'm thinking about scuba diving now, whereas I wasn't even thinking about it before at all. But I'm devoting some of the time that I have in my independent free thought time or whatever while going about my average day thinking about scuba diving. And what is weird about a person, like you look at an average person's brainwaves and thoughts, and they've done studies on this, 95% of the thoughts that you had yesterday, you will have today. So it's very, very strange. Uh, about 5% of your thoughts are new and different and, and original each day. That's the average person. Uh, uh, we want to read books and we want to basically meet new people and read new things. That's how you get, or, and then, you know, listen to new things, right? Um, the, that's how you kind of evolve in your thinking and, and all of that. So to use this weird example of talking about scuba diving, which is a conversation I've not had in a long time, it's a new thought, you know, it's a brand new thought. And when I see ads about scuba diving and other things like that, it's going to be more, I'm going to, kind of hold on to those things. There's this uh, weird concept of the, I, um, it came from a book somewhere and I don't remember. It's a very influential book that I did not list on our top 10 because I couldn't remember the name. But um, the idea is that we have the, the crocodile brain and the neocortex, the rational part of the brain that reasons. The um, medulla, I think, is the um, crocodile brain. It's where information is initially processed. And the that part of the brain is devoted to should i eat this should i should i run from it should i um should i love it and you know basic you know human questions that are like is it dangerous or is it safe and things like that and that's actually where most marketing communication is filtered out so in the human brain most marketing communication is just filtered out we we actually tend to try to run away from things that try to sell us we love to buy stuff, but we don't like to be sold, right? And so this seven touch rule is kind of the idea is to get information through to that neocortex so that you actually think about it. And, you know, the, I, you know, kind of going back to that weird scuba diving analogy, it's just somebody talking about it and sound kind of fun. And, you know, the, the way that we sell board games is making you know, showing people an experience and saying, you know, helping them understand that that looks like fun. That's what the crocodile brain wants to see. And then it will pass that information along to the neocortex where they can reason and rationalize. And, you know, it's like Jamie Stegmaier just released, uh, you know, the name of his latest game, which I forget it was, uh, Libertalia. That's what it yeah. is. Winds of Gale Crest. Apparently yeah. it's, it's a, uh, based on a game that has come out and he stated it's not a reprint. It's, it's kind of a new take. So it sounded fun, right? It was just immediately like, Oh, a new thing that I never heard about or cared about until I just read it. And I'm sure I'm going to get a whole bunch more communication on that and try to resist pre-ordering it on March 2nd. I don't know how successful <laughs> I'll be, but yeah. But the, the, uh, to add on to what Andrew's saying about, you know, seeing something multiple times, it may, it's not because you want to like shove an ad down someone's throat until they just give up and, and purchase it. Usually every time you show a, an ad, somebody has a personal challenge to it and it does change. It may not be the same thing. So for example, let's say that you see an ad on Facebook for a board game and you go it looks pretty pretty cool but the challenge is is your payday is not till next week so you don't want to pull the trigger on because you don't have the money for it so the first time you see it you may not have the money for it um and then of course later on you get paid and all of a sudden the ad shows up again you go oh that's really cool 
So then since since you've jumped over the, the your your first you know personal challenge of not having the money for it, now you look at it a little more deeper and you go, oh, well, I don't like this mechanic. And so mm-hmm. like things like that. So there's, uh, you know, you know, for example, I'm 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 super big. And so I'm on a weight loss program. I did something very generic that a lot of people do all the time is I started at the beginning of the year. <laughs> Heck yeah, you haven't even given up yet. That's and like they, the thing is, is like a lot of people who want to lose weight, like let's say they see an ad for weight loss in the middle of the week. They're like, oh, I already messed up this week. Why would I start now? Or it's the middle of the month, you know? So there's challenges that may or may not like be what you think they are. Just, you know, just showing the ad over and over again. That's why it's important to show ads over time. uh, As long as you have the budget for it, because like, for example, some people get paid once a month. So if you're advertising a board game, you need at least to have like a month's worth of ads showing um, to get, you know, to give everyone at least one chance, you know, for that challenge. And like I said, weight loss, you know, middle of the week may not work the best for weight loss ads. You might want to try the beginning of each month. Or of course, January 1st is big day. Everyone's advertising where you have to pay you know, hundred dollars per click or whatever it is on, on January first. So these challenges are what you're trying to overcome, and everyone has their own personal challenge. So one challenge may not be the same as somebody else, but by showing the ad over time, you give those people a chance to remove those challenges and to look at your product and buy your game. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think this is very similar to my strategy going into when I was working with Megapulse. Um, the, that that was kind of my case study game. You know, my first big hurrah that I was working with. And a lot of the things I noticed is, I mean, there was some ups and downs. I learned quite a bit from it, but the biggest thing was consistency. And I kind of touched on that seven, uh, the seven touch rule is I wanted people to see the game multiple times and give them the little bit each time so that I was kind of luring them in, you know, not in a predatory way, you know, you know, that sounded bad, but, (laughs) um, you know, I wanted them to become more aware of the brand and more aware of the product itself. And so by just putting out little bits of art, you know, here and just getting a quick question like, hey, here's some feedback. What's this? They're kind of, you know, they start to jump get on them the, into your van. Yeah, yeah. Get them into the van. Uh, free candy. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I kind of little bit over time. And, you know, the other day I got a couple messages like, hey, what what can I do? You know, I, again, it goes back to the beginning. Like I've, I'm not funding at all. How can I do this in two weeks? You know, what can I do? And I was like, okay, well, how many times have you shown your assets you know and they're like oh i dumped all of my artwork right away within the first day and because they did that it you know they couldn't do the seven different pieces of communication because all of their stuff was gone and they're like now how do i like get new content you know and so i think that was one of my biggest strategies that i actually utilized and i mean that was entirely organic that entire campaign was just organic marketing and so it was a lot of challenges, but I mean, through that several communication platforms, I was able to uh, get them over the hump and get that campaign funded. So another psychological uh, approach is is just that, like, for example, if, if you're able to extend your presence and communication over time on a regular basis and interval, let's say you're doing like a, I don't know, just say you're doing a daily post, a little post every day. All of a sudden, next month you stop posting. Well, people are going to be like, wait. I'm not seeing this anymore. What happened? And then they'll actually look you up and see, oh, oh, no, he's good. And then they'll maybe buy the product. So, yeah, the opposite is also true, where if you're continuously communicating, all of a sudden there's a break. And that's happened, you know, a few times. I've done some things where I've, I've done, like, you know, reports and all of a sudden, like, I forgot to post one for a month. And someone's like, oh, oh, what, what happened to you? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just didn't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so, it, you know, when you when you have continuous updates, even though they may not be pulling the trigger at the moment, 
they'll notice as soon as you stop and then they'll they'll actually may go into uh, active mode and, and, and chase you what this reminds me of these um different touch points reminds me of ryan uh, wianko of fractured veil he had this uh, sort of happy accident during his campaign where he accidentally sent out an email they had this really complex customer journey and what happened was that he set it up in such a way that the emails were sent out like instant instantly when you took an action but what he found was that the open rates were phenomenal because he kind of got people in like a session where they mm-hmm. click do an action they could send an email straight away they click that and they could send the other email i think that there's an opportunity here for game designers to really use MailChimp to gamify their emails. So let's say if a Mantle the Keeper, you send an email out to Ben, it's like, choose your champion. You know, and then they click one and then they get sent the next one. It's like, well, now mm-hmm. choose your ability, choose the arena. And maybe you can incorporate a like, kind of mini game, which introduces the concept of the game through MailChimp, through a journey. It's something I've wanted to test. It's something like the game designer has to do because they're familiar with the game and mm-hmm. they know what's going to like move the needle. They speak but the I, language. They know what their main sure. like, point of driving people towards their game is. That's really interesting. But I think that's something that people should experiment with. And a, another case study of this is Valve. Valve did this. It's called Alternate Reality Games, ARG. And they did this for Portal and for TF2. So there are some like AAA titles that are doing this type of stuff for marketing where they kind of have like mini games before the launch of their actual game to kind of get mm-hmm. the community involved. So I think it's something that game designers could really explore with MailChimp using customer journeys. Also, uh, Discord. Uh, is a lot of people now discord is very big out there i'm not a discord person for some reason i'm not a lot of things actually i'm not even on facebook half the time but anyway not even level 60 on world of warcraft I, <laughs> I play dofus okay i play the french game anyway or final fantasy there's been some bots now that have been created on discourse where you can actually make it it's almost like a choose your own adventure game where you can make it like a, a role-playing game and that might work in that aspect as well where like you can actually put a channel on your discord and it's like a you know promo for your game and people sort of you know play with the bot you know through through the different ideas like you were talking about via discord as opposed to email yeah that's really you cool. know I'll, I'll say that the the fractured veil campaign we it was it was the only campaign i've ever run that i think facebook leads were as effective as landing page leads because you would get you know normally i i discourage people using facebook lead ads because the the problem is inherent in the in the ad they don't have the opportunity to absorb information before they sign up so you're getting somebody to sign up for an email that doesn't really know what it is that they are kind of buying into so that you know by the time you say hey here's my kickstarter or you know here's this email for uh, you know of information they're like i don't even know what this is because they didn't really absorb inf- information at the time it's like it would be the equivalent of me not hearing that scuba diving conversation earlier and then seeing an ad for scuba diving. It's like, well, you know, it's just not going to influence me at all. The first, that initial information absorption through that crocodile brain into the neocortex is very important to actually getting me to care in the future. You know, I wanted to also chime in on something that Rick, you were saying, you know, people have kind of, you you called it personal objections, uh, personal uh, issues to kind of um, the way I the way I always consider it is objections to overcome. You know, as the seller of a thing, I have to overcome objections to prospective buyers. A, a lot of the time, they'll ask me questions. They'll say, you know, is this game co-op? It, you know, how many players does it have? Those kind of things. Those are 
to me, questions are buying signals. So if I answer their questions, it removes an obstacle so that they're that much closer to supporting or whatever it is. You know, what Rick was saying was that, you know, there are certain things that you're just not going to be able to overcome with a silver tongue, which uh, would be like, if I don't have the money in the bank account, like I'm not buying this. Or, you know, there are a lot of people that will say, yes, but I have other things to buy and it's just not the the right time for me to buy a board game. You can get people to get really excited and uh, in the lead up to your launch, they will they'll be like, yeah, I planned. I mean, I had for people uh, backing deliverance, I, you know, we, we kind of broke this down at one point where I had three months leading, you know, up to my launch, I had, you know, the backers were pretty much right on the average of what was spent, but all the people leading up, you know, that I grabbed two years before and added to my email list. I, all those people, they spent an average of like $150 or, or, or so each and it was like their average spend was much higher and that's because a lot of them were totally planning on this expense like when it happens i will have the money in the bank account i you know i'm planning for this you know a lot of people were actually quite you know they had they were people of quite humble means they didn't have a lot of disposable income they're like all right i'm saving ten dollars a month for the you know for the launch of the game and i'm gonna buy the deluxe edition and it was a really big deal that they spent, you know, $99 or $98 on the the base or the deluxe game and shipping. But we kind of prepared them so that they could be ready. Now, what I find is uh, really, really common with all sorts of, um, we'll say, consumable product or uh, products that you would buy for entertainment, quarter four removes a lot of objections. So if you have games that are that are like, you know, if you have 5,000 games sitting in a warehouse and you need to sell them, you, you know, you could put a lot of money into ads. You could, um, you know, just hustle. You could do a, a bunch of organic stuff, which I totally want to um, touch on again as well with what you said, Devin. But the, you could spend a ton of money. But if you do it at the wrong time of year, you will not have the same results. I remember, you know, working with um, this one t-shirt company. It's a, you know, consumable product. They have kind of uh, statement t-shirts, which are really popular now. Like they they did like hip hop statements and, and mom life statements and whatnot. And their quarter four sales, they would sell a, a $40 cart for $2 in ad spend. And you know how much it took me to sell that same cart 40 it was like 44 dollars because they had a 50 dollars gives you free shipping or it's like you know basically put two shirts in your cart you get free shipping they that's why their average order was about 44 dollars it took me 12 dollars outside of that quarter four so it was six times more expensive like i mean 600 percent more expensive to sell the same product during any other quarter aside from quarter four. And in particular, what I'm talking about is not necessarily quarter four. I'm talking about the Christmas buying season, the season that people say, I need to have gifts under the tree um, for my family. That is going to eliminate so many objections. They're like, well, I need this. And this person would like that. And they're looking to buy things. They're looking to be sold things that they're interested in or that their family's interested in and that kind of thing. They're seeking out in in a way that they weren't before. You may access the same number of people, get the same number of clicks with your Facebook ads, but the conversion rate is just going to be so much higher because consumer behaviors change during Christmas. And that time zone or that timeline is basically the Wednesday before Black Friday. So like the day before Thanksgiving in the US, 
all the way through about the 14th of January is when you're going to get ridiculously awesome conversion rates. You have the the pre-Christmas sales and then you have the post-Christmas sales. So you have people who spent money for uh, for people on Christmas. And then after you, you have people who got money from Christmas who need to spend. And this is actually true for almost all online marketing. Like Andrew said, after about the first week of January, sales are done. January's done. January's dead. It's the worst day to do it. I wouldn't even do a Kickstarter in January. In fact, I wouldn't do one this month of February either. I mean, um, December is actually do... pretty bad for Kickstarters because, you know, you, people want to buy something and get it in two days. need it now. Yeah, they need it now. It's, it's yeah. more impulse. But January should be, after Christmas should be okay. Oh, I, got, I saved up enough money to buy that board game. The next market is tax returns. See, yeah. So in the U.S., uh, people are now starting to file their tax returns. And most people don't see their money until about March, April, May. So if you're thinking about launching your game right now, hold off a month or two. And push it when people get their their tax refunds. Same idea. Yeah, I think that the the biggest months on Kickstarter are I can't remember if it's March or April, but uh, Frosthaven launched April first. It was like April Fool's Day they launched and they raised like a bajillion dollars, like almost thirteen million dollars, because everyone else canceled their Kickstarters and uh, then all the consumers got their tax returns and were like, hey, what's one hundred fifty bucks? You know, and I think March April are very popular for Kickstarter. And then there, I mean, there's a lot of money that goes through Kickstarter creators' hands uh, in yeah. in those two months. And then another really popular month is October. I don't know why. It's like the month before sales nosedive on Kickstarter. You know, it's like I, th- I think it's because the world cools off during that time and people stay indoors more and they're like, "What are we gonna do?" But it's funny because I I used to manage a casino. And the March, April, May were our craziest times. It, and also, we knew when people got their like social security benefits, because uh, you know the second week or third week of the month, because they'd all of a sudden all these old people would come in the casino. So we had it. We had it down pretty pat. Um, but yeah, it was pretty quiet until once those re- tax returns come, and then we were just like busy. Devin, you mentioned that you uh, help market a game organically. Do you want to share with people what sort of Facebook groups or what channels kind of? moved the needle the most that you found the most effective overall i mean i was in quite a few different ones and i learned over time that diving into all of the different channels at once was might have been a mistake and i should have kind of focused a little bit more on a few select channels that were more like engaged and more interactive and so like towards the end of the campaign you know I was realizing that, okay, let's let's move towards a smaller group. And then I started talking with the Board Game Revolution, uh, Board Game Design Lab, uh, and then the Board Game Group. Those were the three groups that I kind of, you know, boom. I was like, okay, these are the three groups that I really want to hit home with. And so I started, you know, doing a little bit here and there, just kind of engaging with the group a little bit, um, deciding on how I wanted to go about engaging because obviously we don't want to start spamming because then people aren't. It's the whole thing coming back. You know, they're not going to come back to you if you're the spammer guy. And so you kind of have to, I posted a few things here and there and there was, I'm not going to say everything was perfect. I learned a lot of things that I shouldn't do and I learned a lot of things that I should be doing. And so through that experience, I realized that kind of honing in on a few select ones was a lot better for the marketability of the game instead of going every single group that I possibly could. Uh, so that was one of the big things, takeaways that I got from that promotion. And, and you're also consistent, right? So like you were, right. you were consistently posting in those few groups and you weren't spread out so thin. So like, and there is yeah. something to say about that because if you focus your involvement on three, four groups and Devin's name keeps showing up, oh, I start recognizing that and I'm like, oh wait, okay. So he's making a game too and I'll check it out. 
And I think there's something there of, you know, being consistent and adding value. People start recognizing that they remember your name or your picture or maybe even your project. So whenever you're, you know, you say, hey, I'm playtesting, you get all these messages. Oh, hey, I've been seeing this, you know, I want to be involved and, and things like that. And it's a great opportunity for that deeper engagement on those levels if you're not spread out too thin. Right. And it kind of goes back to what Rick said earlier about the the problem, not necessarily problem, but the way I with through organic marketing, if you stop, people will notice. And it's mm -hmm. like, you have to constantly be consistent mm -hmm. and you have to come up with new content all the time. That was not easy. You know, like coming up, I had assets to work with, but I was coming up with the designs, the copy, the, you know, the writing and everything. And it was like, how do you get over doing the same thing over and over again? You know, you constantly have to be battling that challenge of like, let's change the phrasing. Let's see what works. And it's, it's like AB testing for copywriting. You know, it's, you're constantly thinking of what you can do to be, you know, that next step in organic marketing. So it was a tough battle, really a long hours, a lot of hours each week that I was working with the campaign. And so it's definitely not a light switch. You can't just flip it on and be ready to go. I mean, this take that took months of work to get their email list to where they were in the in the long run. So, and and yeah. paying attention to what people do engage with, right? So some things that come to mind of um, Dave Beck with Distilled, his Whiskey Wednesdays, right? Like he's not doing all these different posts. Like he stays engaged and will shout out yep. people who are, you know, sending pictures. But Wednesday, he shows up, yep. he does a live because he can update some art and, and people literally schedule for that, right? Gabe Barrett with his goals on Monday or, you know, yep. wins on Friday. And, you know, you're, you're starting to do these as well. And those have hundreds and hundreds of comments rather than a couple of thumbs up and maybe someone or two people interacting. And that's kind of where that focus hits because people gravitate towards those. What I found interesting, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Thomas Covert recently did a post um, in the board game revolution community. And he basically asked the community, do you find people promoting games annoying? I'm kind of paraphrasing it. And I was surprised to see the amount of people who said no. They said, actually, I'm, I'm in this group to define mm -hmm new board games so i don't mind people promoting games so i think as a marketer that's in, in my mind it kind of just maybe put my mind at ease that okay some people there's people here who actually want to see your game so it's just mm -hmm. about communicating it in a way that's sincere and i think that's the key but i thought yeah. that was really interesting i don't know if you guys saw that post or if you had thoughts on it no actually i am looking it up right now i did see it yeah it, and it was interesting because you know i, I think a, you get to see a ton of cool games, right? You get to see their, their art and what's new and what's coming out. And, you know, whether you're a designer or you're just an enjoyer of games, like, that's that's fun. You get to see it before, you know, other people see it. Getting that chance to ask a concentrated group of people that are um, interested in this topic, like, hey, what's your what's your feedback on this? What, what do you think as someone who's interested in this, you know, do you like A or B? Do you think this rule communicates or not? And it's just concentrated feedback. Sometimes though you won't get feedback. So so in, especially in my case, uh, not not board game related, but also besides my weight loss program that began this year, I also started a content writing. I've been building a niche site. It's uh, and the idea of it is I add content and people come and I make money off ads. So it's like a passive income type of thing. When I first started it, I'm like, okay, this is an exciting topic. This is going to be great. I got all sorts of stuff to write out. I had a plan. Boom. Three weeks in, I'm like, I'm tired of this crap. I mean, there's only so many ways you can write like <laughs> this topic. And, however, though, I've looked and, and the thing is, is, is it's hard because when you're when you're doing a website, 
you're not going to be getting any kind of feedback up first. Like Google doesn't like you. Um, you know, you're not getting indexed. You're not getting ranked. People don't know about your sites. So they're not leaving comments. So there's a lot of things that you're doing where you get no feedback whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But what you what you what you were guys were saying, especially in you know in Devin's case, it's all about. In fact, we talked about this earlier in the book. It's all about the grit. If you continue to do it every single day. So my my goal is to post one article every night after work. I just post it during the weeknights and then I'm done. And as long as you do that, you know, after, you know, like, for example, every month I'm adding 20 articles to this site. So in three months, you know, it's 80 and it keeps building and the traffic keeps building. And I'm also in a community. I don't choose. There's not many communities. There's a billion communities on niche site marketing. I'm in one right now and I'm following with them. And the reason why is because, you know, you want to stick to one thing and just go for it. You don't want to have like 20 different ideas and go all over the place because then you just go, you end up being, you're just diluted and you're, you're nowhere. So, but then also with this one group, I'm seeing people who've already done it. And over time, they had the same problem. They weren't getting feed, you know, feedback. Things were bad. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to quit, but they just kept doing it. And towards the end of the year, they're making thousands of dollars a month. So, yeah, it's just it's a matter, you know, you, you want to make sure that you are passionate about what you're doing. But you also need to remind yourself that there's going to be days where you're not going to be passionate about your your project. But just keep working on it and keep putting out new stuff. And it will eventually catch up to you and everything will be great. You know, I find for organic stuff, you know, with Deliverance, it was very easy as uh, the creator working on the thing and thinking about it all the time. It was actually very easy for me to do organic marketing. The trick was basically boiled down to whatever I'm working on and excited about, I should post about it right then and there. Because if I think and write it down in a notebook somewhere or say like, oh yeah, I should, I should post about this. The opportunity has already passed me by. And then I'm sitting there with the equivalent of a pen and paper that's blank thinking, what should I say to the community that will get them to be interested in deliverance? I I think that it's really important that, you know, whatever you're passionate about right at that moment, that you take advantage of that passion and the you know, whatever it is that you're thinking about and share that. You don't need to share the secret sauce that you don't, that you're not ready to share yet. The Kickstarter date and the price and the whatever, you can just be like, Hey, I'm excited about this. I um, found just as an example, I uh, got a notification of a story I shared like three years ago. That was a a prototype of deliverance, like an early prototype. And I, I looked at that picture and I'm like, Oh man, like so much has changed since the, uh, you know, since that was released and I'm like, Oh, I should just use that. So I, I copied it, you know, and I pasted it into a new post on my deliverance game insiders. And I'm like, here are some things that changed from this point. What else do you guys remember? And there were, um, uh, several people that posted and the, you know, it was, it was great. A lot of engagements and other things like that. And, um, it was really easy. I, it, it was like paragraphs of information just flowed out of me real quick because I was thinking about that. And it must have taken five, 10 minutes to, to do that. It was extremely easy. You should capitalize on, on those moments. Now, Devin, with Megapulse, you were, you were kind of, you weren't the designer, you were the marketer and right. And for me, I find it exceedingly difficult to do this, to do that for any other, any of our clients. So whenever somebody asks me like, Hey, will you do like the regular posting on social media? I always say no, but I'll teach you how, you know, I've done it before and it's really hard because, you know, you're just, you have to learn about the thing. You don't, you're not thinking about it all the time. You're not like, 
adjusting, you know, you're not doing development on the game. You're not like getting new art from the artist. You don't have access necessarily to like all the files of, you know, from whatever their Dropbox or Google drive. And you wouldn't even know like where to begin if you did, like if, if one of you guys got access to my deliverance folders, you'd be like, where the heck is everything? You know, I do not know Bring it where on. the, the final ready. art is. Like I see there are like, you know, several angel folders and there are versions of like basically version one through 7.0 of the angels. And then in like the version 7.0, there are various versions 7.1 to 7.7 of the final art pieces. And you just would never be able to navigate that, let alone think about how to make an awesome post several times a week. I just, I mean, you could, but it'd be, you'd be vastly underpaid because the the service, like, what is it worth? I mean, if it was, I don't know if we were, if I was a mega corporation like Target, yeah, totally worth someone's full-time job. But right now, you know, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, several thousand people, which is not, I mean, I can't really justify spending, you know, whatever, 300 to $1,000 a month to give to somebody to do those things, it's kind of, it's just, it's just a kind of a catch 22, you know, that I, I feel like the creator has to be the one to do it or you're going to lose money and it's not going to be as good. You know? right. Yeah. And, and that it's really funny. You said that. Cause I mean, I just, I just had a meeting earlier we were just talking about this exact thing. How do you put a number on this? Especially the kind of things that you do through that type of marketing, because it's constant. You have to always create new things. You know, it's a full-time job plus, you know, just to do that for one, you know, publisher. And if you do that with multiple publishers, it's like, oh my goodness, how do you keep that, you know, strategy in mind for that game? And then you separate it from others because you don't want to bleed it over either because it's not going to be the same target market that you're trying to uh, market towards. And that that's something I definitely have been trained to myself to do and try and separate you know, the different types of games. And one thing I will say, uh, one thing I learned the hard way is be transparent, especially if you're going to be doing what I'm doing with marketing, like other people's games. If you just go out there and just say, hey, you know, there's this game that's out there right now. And this is something I've done, you know, and I've learned not to do it this way. I've started to learn how to be like, okay, hey, everybody, like I'm working with this group now, you know, Together, we're trying to bring this to crowdfunding. And just that alone, that copy, you know, change has already made it so my reputation isn't necessarily like a bad thing after it. You know, there are people are coming back like, oh, cool, you're working with them. You know, like, where can I learn more and information like that? So Mm -hmm. be as transparent as you possibly can. And like when you said you have that idea, you've got to jot it down. Be like, hey, everybody, I just had an idea. Don't feel like you need to overly formalize it, too, because that's a problem that I see a lot of people do. It's like, oh, you have to be super formal and do all these things exactly the way, you know, everyone else does it. And I'm like, be fun, be your own engaged audience. You know, this is your audience. Like, all right, in, in paragraph two, like sentence yeah, in paragraph two, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I read, I read like the first seven letters of what it is that you wrote and I responded because I knew what your nine paragraphs said, you know, or- It, it sounds like something like a, Trekkie, a Trekkie would do at one of those conventions. In season six, episode five of the uh, Klingon Bird of Prey, I noticed that the second officer's right finger had something different that didn't relay to what they were doing. Can you please explain that? You mean the trekker? <laughs> that actually brings me 
to a uh, recent post that happened in the crowdfunding nerds community. So there was a person that wrote how they absolutely detest marketing and they they were talking about that they actually had a little bit of a, a following. So 900 followers on Twitter, 500 followers on Facebook, 730 pre-launch followers on, on, on Facebook. And they're like, what do we who should who else should we tell what do we say and they they ended with this statement uh be gentle please i hate marketing more than i have ever hated anything in my life and i worked in parliament for years so i know a fair amount about feeling out of my debt and so i i mean how would you respond to this person that that hates marketing you know like what would you say well, I mean, it's funny, we're actually messaging about this specifically right now. And I was just upfront and honest. And I was like, okay, let's, let's get down to the basics. Okay, you hate marketing. There's a lot of people, I mean, some days I hate marketing. Let's be real here. You know, it's, it's not easy. It's a, it's a tough battle. But my first few questions were, well, let's talk about the audience. Like, how have you been talking to your audience? How have you been building it up over time? I mean, yeah, you have good numbers and stuff. But um, there's always that like mid slump, you know, campaign as well. And it's like, how do you re-excite, re-get that fire, you know, to lit up again? And my, I haven't been able to talk again about this yet, but it's like, let's go. Okay, so let's find your assets that you have and let's start kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit. Let's throw some assets out and maybe ask some questions like, what do you think? Like, here's the inspiration behind this. Let's tell a story about this brand. Like, again, why am I so excited about it? Like, and the conf it's a confidence thing. I think more than anything, it's it goes back to, oh, I don't think I know what I'm doing. But most people know what they're doing. They just don't think they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just have to be guided a little bit. And I, you know, my big piece of advice is just to be, just go back to your roots. Where did this game start? Like, why was it originally? Why are you passionate about this in the first place? And let's start from there and let's go back and engage in a different way and let's work together and let's teach each other how to not hate marketing. Mm -hmm. And so like learn some things together. And, and that's kind of my messaging is um, I'll be talking, saying those same exact things probably here <laughs> shortly. After. <laughs> and, and the other part of it really for, for our experience with Mantle the Keeper is the time. So I, I don't have the luxury of having you, Devin, being able to like fully immerse yourself with, with our product and all about it and speak to people. Like that's part of my role. I, I, I do other things as well as like the graphic design, communicating with artists, you know, making sure that we have the money to do this stuff. And then I'm supposed to sit down and make a post, which, which goes back to what Andrew was saying of, you know, don't overthink it. And, and mm -hmm. just, you know, when you have the stuff come in, be vulnerable and then give them a, you know, a peek behind the scenes of what's going on. And I think that's really the best way to do it because in my experience, I've, I've like, when we first started, I was spending 45 minutes, like rewriting my caption over and over and over again, yeah. you yep. make it perfect. Oh, the lighting wasn't right. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was an hour that I could have been, you know, play testing. And, and what it came down to was, I was like, you know, what? I have to try something different. And so I just had a funny idea of, of, showing some of our, our community members how we capture some of the posing for our characters. And, and so sometimes it's really hard to explain to an artist, especially over um, text, like this is how we want, you know, this character to look. And so the, the post was um, side by sides, pictures of us posing, uh, like swinging a sword or like yelling and making a cool pose. And then right next to that was the finished art piece. 
And I think that took me a total of seven minutes to find the pictures and post it and just say, you ever wonder how we got these poses, how these poses? Oh my gosh. That was one of the best interactions we've had. People were laughing, messaging us and stuff like that. And so I think it's so true of, you know, don't spend all this time spinning your wheels because time is valuable. You know, there's other tasks, especially if you're a designer taking this on, especially if you're a one, one man team of things that have to get done. And so I think the other part of people getting frustrated with marketing, maybe in the example you're talking about is the frustration of, I I don't have time because I need to actually make this product and make it to where it can sell. Yeah. You know, I, I find when, when somebody tells me, you know, I, I hate marketing, you know, you can break that down in a few ways. And uh, Devin, you mentioned that, con- you know, lack of confidence. I know a lot of people, they fail to send an email out to their list because they don't want people to unsubscribe. They are afraid, that, you know, that they'll, they'll lose people or that they'll figure out I'm a fraud, I'm a fake. That's actually called imposter syndrome. And, you know, if only people knew what I really was or where the game really was at or whatever, then they wouldn't like it. And it's not, uh, it's not true. You know, those, those types of things, that's head trash. And I think part of what we all need to uh, work on, just everybody listening to this, you all have an inner monologue that is going on inside your head right now. And you cannot turn it off, no matter how hard you may try, but you can turn it down. You can turn the volume down. So when you tell, when you tell yourself that you can't or whatever, um, I, the, the most annoying thing that happens in my head is, yeah, but... You know, I hear some great advice and then I immediately disagree and argue with it. Yeah, but, you know, not in my situation or mine's different or whatever. So, you know, another another thing, though, that I will say, you know, is is oftentimes the root of somebody saying I hate marketing is because they feel like they're a pushy, proddy salesperson when they're when they're doing something. So it's not necessarily about confidence, but it's more about that they don't want to be that person that everybody get so annoyed by, you know, the, the guy for me, I'll get a friend request from somebody that has, you know, 50 to 150 mutual friends. And I will immediately know it's either from like church or it's from a school that I went to, or it's from the board game community, because that's the only, those are the only people that I have, or maybe family, you know, the only people I would have that many mutual friends with. And, uh, so I'll look, I maybe never heard their name before in my life. I'll look and then see, you know, what, what's going on in their profile. And the last thing they shared was that they're coming to Kickstarter soon with a new board game. I do not even add that person to my friends list. I don't reject it. I just let it sit passively. And so that person can't, you know, request again or whatever. They might send me a message. I always tell people, send me a message. If you want to add me as a friend, send me a message. And, you know, I'm always happy to do that unless I totally recognize them and then it's no problem. But we all know that there's that pushy proddy person that's like, hey, um, how you doing? Oh, by the way, I just have a Kickstarter that I launched, you know, it's like, please, you know, don't do that. Right. Well, I just that created a YouTube channel on Facebook, Andrew. To subscribe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so um, I feel like you know people are afraid of doing that, and the um, you know when you break that down, you think you know you really as long as you speak from passion and honesty, uh, places of passion and honesty, you you never run into that problem because you can be pushy. I push people to do things that I love all the time. I really love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, I, I moved to my neighborhood a week ago. 
And I just had my first Brazilian jiu-jitsu class with all my neighbors. I had like eight people there yesterday in my garage because I was just, I'm excited about that. I want to get, you know, training again and, and, and all of that. I don't want to take a huge long break. And, um, that passion made other people passionate and in board games, like that's exactly what I did with deliverance. I was so excited about it. So the people that were just cautiously optimistic that a Christian game could actually be fun, um, they were kind of persuaded. The initial group was persuaded because I was passionate and they saw that it was like, it wasn't just like, Oh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm passionate because it was a really fun experience that I wanted to see exist. And, um, that kind of won them over. So let your, you know, and, and it's a Seth Godin phrase, marketing is honesty. And I think that you, you don't have to try to sell somebody on your product just present your product and let it speak for itself, you know, and, um, talk, you know, you can talk about it, but don't try to say there, don't try to get some random person on Facebook to follow your Kickstarter from, you know, because it's, they're not going to buy it. They might follow because you're torturing them, but they, they're not going to spend money on it. So anyway, so that's a pretty good, uh, uh, podcast I'd say probably out of time, but any, any last thoughts before we wrap? I think one of the biggest things I've learned, and, and this was a lot through, I mean, podcasts, but also just firsthand observance is if you're going to be gauging with people in communities, whether it's Facebook or discord or what have you, what, what value are you adding to their time that they're, that they're spending there? Why should I stop on your post and do something? Um, how, why should I answer a question or engage? And I think a lot of that is what has helped build really great communities like crowdfunding nerds, Facebook group, or, you know, the BGDL as well is a lot of people are there to learn and a lot of people are there to share their experience. And, you know, Sometimes it may be specific to, hey, this is my Kickstarter, but it, it usually is things like, hey, this this has happened and this is what we did and or what would you do in this situation? And I think that's what people are there for is, is to learn and grow and help others. And so I think whenever posts do stand out, you know, for being spammy, it, it, there's a reason for it because it's it's not what people are there for. And so whenever people are trying to figure out how do I get engagement on my questions or my posts, what I've found is just scrolling through the pages and adding as much value as I can to others. You know, did they ask a question or did they want opinions or, you know, going through what are your goals on Monday on BGDL and you answer those of, of, Hey, this is a really cool goal. Like, how do you plan to do it? Having those engaging conversations and showing people like, Hey, a you're heard, but also here's my opinion or, you know, vice versa, I think is huge and goes a long way for, for people to start billing, you know, credibility, and then they get, you know, return out of it eventually, maybe. Anyway, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our Facebook group called the Crowdfunding Nerds Community and say hi to Ben and Devin on there. And uh, hopefully we'll have them back very soon for some more chat. But there's so many of us here today, you know, it just feels like a we feel like a community, a, an online podcast club. So that reminds me of a song. So I'm going to give you guys a nice little goodbye song before we go. Yes. Cut. Cut.